You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. To discern human meaning or purpose, if any, is to probe human brain and mind. One approach is to target specific mental faculties. A favorite is deception. What can we learn when people deceive? Is deception an aberration found largely in bad people? Or is deception bred in our bones, affecting all people? Deceptions are conditions, actions, or statements that mislead others, obscure what is real, promote ideas that are not true. Deceptions can be conscious and deliberate, or subconscious and without awareness. But deceptions almost always are intended, purposefully or by happenstance, to benefit the purveyor of deception to give advantage to the deceiver. There are all kinds of deception, from lying duplicity and disguises to propaganda, disinformation, and deep fakes. Self-deception, too, offers insight. Why would evolution select for deceiving ourselves? How does deception, including self-deception, shape brain and mind? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. Deception pervades human behavior, from intimate relations between romantic partners to subterfuge and espionage among nation states. Pick up a novel, watch a film, you will likely find its characters deceiving and being deceived. But how to subject deception to scientific study? I start with a flagrant form of deception, lying. Lying, of course, has an ancient history, rooted in evolutionary advantage, condemned by the Eighth of the Ten Commandments. I go to Cambridge, Massachusetts, Harvard University, to meet an experimental psychologist, neuroscientist, and philosopher who studies lying in the context of moral judgment and decision-making, Joshua Green. Josh, what have you done to explore the cognitive neuroscience of, of lying? Yeah. One of the things that's challenging about studying lying is how do you get people to lie in a laboratory setting and, and have it be in some sense real and have it be in a, in a you know, something you can study in a controlled sort of way, right? right? Sure. You know, you can tell people to say things that are false, <laughs> but that's not really lying. No, no. That's just saying things that are false. And then it's even more complicated if you want to study people's brains. Like, how do you get people to lie while they're lying in the other sense in a tube and having their brain scan, right? right. So what we did was we gave people a setup where there, there were these electronic coin flips and their job was to predict the outcomes of the coin flips. And we had this little cover story that this was kind of about paranormal stuff, and we said, you know, okay. some people think that you can predict the future better if you don't tell anybody what your prediction is. <laughs> so we'd say, okay, you get a dollar if you predict, you know, the coin flip c correctly. Don't tell us what your prediction is in advance, 
just tell us afterwards whether or not you got it right, <laughs> right? And that will give you a chance to lie. You're willing to lie because you think you can't be caught because, hey, how do they know if I was thinking heads or tails? Right. But statistically, we can detect it. That is, if we find that people are getting, instead of 50% right, they're getting 70 or 80% right when they don't have to reveal their prediction in advance, right. then we know that they're doing something fishy. And you know, we have a control condition where they have to record their prediction in advance. And as you'd expect, they're only getting 50% of the coin flips right. right. So what we do is we have people in the scanner, and sometimes they're saying, heads? Yeah, I guessed heads. I'll take my dollar, right? <laughs> and, and we can do this enough times where even if we don't know on any one instance, ah, this is where they're lying. Maybe they really did think of heads. Statistically, you can say, oh, okay, overall, this person's doing some lying, and it's very clear. So our cutoff in this experiment was we'll call somebody someone who was doing at least some lying if their odds of doing as well as they did on the prediction yeah. were better than they would do, you know, one in a thousand chance that they one would do that well if it, they were just guessing. Right, truly right, did, right, right. So we're pretty confident that, you know, this group is definitely lying. Mm -hmm. This group, we know at the group level they're doing some lying, but we can't necessarily pin it on any one person. Right, and right. then there was a separate subset of people who showed no indication that they were lying at all. So our main interest was in comparing the people who were clearly doing some lying and the people who showed no sign of doing any lying. Okay, so you were and, able to segregate the two yeah, groups. Right, and then at a psychological level, you can think of sort of two different hypotheses, which we called will and grace, right? So about honesty. So the will hypothesis is something like your automatic response is to try to grab the cookies out of the cookie jar. You're gonna lie and try to take that money. And then the honest people would be the ones who control that, who have some will that overrides temptation, right? Mm -hmm. The grace hypothesis is that the people who are honest are just honest by default, that they don't have to make much of an effort to do it. And you would expect to see different things going on in people's brains. If the will hypothesis is right, yeah, that when you look at the honest group, you should see brain signals that are associated with what we call cognitive control. In particular, you'd expect to see increased activity in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Parts of the brain here that are associated with top-down control, sometimes called executive function. And we didn't see that at all. When we looked at the people who were consistently honest, what we saw is really nothing. I mean, and it's hard with the brain imaging study to see nothing. Right. <laughs> you know, there's almost always some interesting difference. And we really saw no difference in their brain signals when they were being honest or dishonest, and also in their reaction times, that they weren't taking longer to be honest. When you looked at the people who were definitely doing some cheating, what we saw is that prefrontal control network was on for them. There's much more activity there when they had the opportunity to cheat as opposed to when they didn't have the opportunity because they had to give their answers in advance. Mm -hmm. Those people were, were doing a lot of extra thinking uh -huh. and they were doing it when they lied, but also when they didn't lie. And you would see uh, increased reaction time, especially when they chose not to lie. The hardest thing for them was to let an opportunity go, right? <laughs> so basically, the overall results support the grace hypothesis, that at least in this situation where you have these rapid, repeated opportunities to lie, the people who are going to come out morally okay in the end, who are going to be honest, are the people who can do it somewhat gracefully. Whereas the, 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 the people who are dishonest, they're the ones who are showing a lot of signs of doing kind of extra thinking. So then you might ask, okay, well, what, what differentiates the people who end up being honest for the people who end up not being? So we did a follow-up study where one possibility is that the people who are more honest, they aren't that tempted by 
the money that they could get. So what we did was we did a separate experiment where we did something, we used something called the mon monetary incentive delay task. Basically, it's just saying, press the button and you'll get your money in a few seconds. So it's really just kind of dangling money in front mm. of people. And what you find is that people vary in terms of how excited their basic reward circuitry gets. This is in particular in a brain region called the nucleus accumbens. And what we found was that there's a correlation between the strength of the signal in the nucleus accumbens when people were doing this task that had nothing to do with, dis with dishonesty. They were just press a button to get your money. The people whose reward systems got more excited by the money were more likely to be dishonest. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, you might say, well, that's not a big surprise, right? Because obviously the people who are doing this are doing it for the money. But it's not guaranteed because what it could be is the, the difference between the people who are honest and dishonest could be, well, look, we are all tempted and the difference is that the people who are honest fight that temptation. But again, we didn't see that kind of an effect. Mm. So it seems like part of what predicts who's gonna end up being honest or dishonest is just how taken they are with the reward, um, that, that that was a better predictor rather than some kind of self-control. We use the same task with psychopaths. And what we found is the psychopaths have a pretty different profile. The ones who really show are high on the psychopathy scale they seem to be what we might call disgraceful. That is, they lie and cheat in an effortless kind of way. <laughs> they don't have, right? have any brain yeah, activity. Yeah, that they don't show sign of having much internal conflict. So there's a part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex, which yeah. among other things, when people are conflicted about their response, you see more activity there. The psychopaths don't have that. In this, in this case as, as, as much. They seem to be dishonest in an unconflicted kind of way. <laughs> lying exemplifies deception. For most people, lying takes work. Liars have to think about lying. You see their specific brain activity. For psychopaths, lying takes no work. You see no specific brain activity. So does lying, deception, fight against our mind's inner moral compass? If so, what happens when we lie to ourselves? It's called self-deception. I go to Southern California to meet a cognitive neuroscientist who investigates patients with strange conditions in behavioral neurology, V.S. Ramachandran. Deception is fascinating. It occurs very, much more frequently than you re realize. For example, recently a survey conducted by people on how intelligent they were. Is your intelligence above average or below average? 90% of people say it's above average. <laughs> Which means 40% of people are in denial about their stupidity. <laughs> so <laughs> self-deception right. is very common. Why does it occur? I think it occurs to stabilize behavior. You've seen this in patients. For example, patients who've got arm paralysis as a result of stroke engage in a curious form of self-deception believing seriously that their arm is not paralyzed. It only happens in the right hemisphere is damaged and the left side is paralyzed. Mm. Because the, the, the so-called denial hemisphere is the left hemisphere that's what engages in denial to smooth over periods of difficulty in your life. Mm -hmm. So for example, in this case, the patient's left arm is paralyzed completely and the patient's sitting in front of me and I said, can you use your left arm? She says, oh yeah, I can use my left arm, she says, right? And I say, can you touch my nose with your left arm? She says, yeah, I can touch your, my, your nose with your left arm. Whose arm is this? It's my brother's arm, she says. She disowns it and says, because it's my brother, okay. She says, where is your brother? My brother is under the chair, I think. And it doesn't occur to her, why should my brother be hiding under the absurdity of the situation doesn't dawn on her. Right. Then comes the best bit. I said, okay, I want you to touch my nose with your left hand. 
you know what she does? Now, it means somebody in there knows it's paralyzed, even though she's denying that it's paralyzed. Yeah. Somebody in there knows it's her hand, even though she, earlier she said it's her brother's hand. Who's <laughs> doing that, right? See, the multiple layers of belief can coexist in one brain. Wow. And, and there's this coherencing of behavior is one of the unsolved problems in neurology. Mm. How people can engage in such obvious self-deception. Mm. You've described uh, abnormalities. But what can that tell us about how deception has worked normally? For example, there's a, a psychological phenomenon called cognitive dissonance. Correct. And that is when we, we have two conflicting ideas and we try to hold them both at the same time, we actually change our belief. To accommodate. To accommodate. And so I, I then rationalize what are obvious contradictions. I can speak to this question insofar as the brain is concerned. Yeah. It seems very likely that the left hemisphere is more prone to delusion and deception than the right hemisphere. In fact, I often refer to the right hemisphere as the hemisphere for the devil's advocate in the right hemisphere. Because you don't want to overdo the self-delusion and self-deception. Yeah. After a point, it gets, it gets maladaptive. It's good to say, I can still beat you in tennis with my, with my damaged elbow. Yeah. But if I say I can lift weights, then you're in trouble. Yeah. So there's, there's a threshold you reach beyond which you don't want to engage in denial just to smooth over, tight over difficult periods. Right. But that threshold is picked up by the right hemisphere, it kicks you in the butt, orients you. So look, you're going too far, it's time to give up this delusion, return to reality and start from scratch. Yeah. So there's an interplay of, of forces between the two hemispheres, a sort of a dynamic equilibrium between extreme delusion, you think you're Napoleon, you think you can conquer the world, versus the other end of the spectrum, everything is devil's advocate, takes, takes over, and, and life is gloomy. <laughs> in fact, they're more realistic, people, people who are depressed. So in terms of, of, of the brain and normal functioning, um, how, 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 does, how, how would you say deception works? Well, I think even in normal functioning, there's always turbulence around you, destabilizing influences. To carry on your daily life, you must engage in small amounts of denial mm -hmm. all the time. Otherwise, your behavior will go, go completely crazy. Mm -hmm. And to avoid this, you have a stabilizing mechanism, and that's what denial is. Part of the many different mechanisms we have for stabilizing your behavior mm -hmm. and, and, and proceed towards your goal without constantly changing your mind. This is, this is the primary goal of, of such defense mechanism. Not just denial, many of the Freudian mechanisms, which he invoked as a, to defend the ego, so to speak, to use Freudian terminology, is about um, conferring stability on behavior. Rama tells us that self-deception is a defense mechanism. It protects our egos, our sense of self, enabling us to cope with the buffeting and affronts of daily life. But too much self-deception cascades into delusion, which is maladaptive. Balance is needed, and the brain has evolved mechanisms to balance left-brain self-deception and right-brain devil's advocate critical thinking. Does this kind of inner brain tension help shape how the brain works? If so, self-deception should have an evolutionary history, a trail to follow. But can self-deception convey fitness advantage? I follow the trail with a modern pioneer of evolutionary theory. His seminal research and original ideas laid the foundation for sociobiology and evolutionary psychology, Robert Trivers. Freud was uh, very perceptive as far as mechanisms of self-deception, ego defense mechanisms, projection, denial, so forth. His theory was utter nonsense, oral, anal, and Oedipal stages. So I wanted to be an evolutionary biologist, uh, so it's Darwin versus Freud. But I was interested in self-deception. Why the hell do we have so many screwed up mechanisms? 
And then one day while I was working on parent offspring conflict, it came to me, ah, the function of self-deception is to hide my deception to you because you're watching me while we're talking. And if I'm slipping a lie by or trying to, you're studying my facial expressions if I'm conscious of what I'm doing. But if I'm unconscious that I'm practicing deception, you ain't got nothing to pay attention to, right? So that was the evolutionary logic. Let me give you one example. We often don't know what conscious signals give away conscious deception, but we know the tone of voice is one of the best and most general. Mm. And that's because we're under tension that the person we're lying to is gonna spot us. Mm. Especially, God forbid, you're lying to your wife or your partner <laughs> about something uh, maybe even intimate. If, if she catches you, you are in for a long and unpleasant evening at a bare minimum. Yeah. You may be in for a series of such evenings. So when you get to the key term, you're apt to have a raise in your voice because you're drawing in your diaphragm out of nervousness and that automatically pushes your voice up. From there, I started to try to develop a theory of self-deception in terms of its evolutionary basis around which you could then organize the facts of Freud. What, what are some examples of human self-deception? A common example is overconfidence. There's a superb work that was done by a couple of psychologists. On average, most people think they're 20% better looking than they really are. And they, they did this work by using a computer to morph your face. So they had your real face, and then they had the average of uh, 10 good-looking men picked out of 60, let's say. Then they morph you towards that. So it's you plus 10% all the way to 50-50. Mm. And the other one, they morph towards someone with a craniofacial syndrome, which causes your face to be, so that's ugliness. They would show you 10 pictures and one of them is yours. And they flash it up there on the screen right away. And you've got to hit this button as soon as you spot yourself. And then with this hand, point to the picture. So that corrects for errors. And sure enough, it took you the longest to spot the ugly you. It took 5% less time to spot the real you and 5% less time to spot the better looking you. So you had a bias. If you show someone a collection of faces in random order, but there are 11 of them, the real one and up to the 50% better and 50% worse, and they ask them to pick out which one they really think is them, it's 20% better looking. So then you say, well, what's the benefit of this? And I think the benefit is fairly simple. If you walk into a room, you're a young man or whatnot, and you think you're handsome, I think you project mm -hmm. a better looking you than if you walk in thinking you're not good looking or just average. So I believe the overconfidence there which is self-deceived, gives you an advantage because it does fool other people. Mm. It makes them think 
you're more attractive than objectively you are. So I hear two purposes of self-deception. One is to hide the fact that you are deceiving someone else yes. better. And the second is to give you more confidence or more able to deal with the world as it is from your internal self. Well, Robert, let me, let me question that a second. I think you're at least half right. But remember, if you're overconfident in this regard, you're also practicing self-deception to deceive others. However, yes, the root is via your, your confidence. And the overconfidence argument works not just regarding looks, but regarding other traits as well. Mm, mm. So that's a good point. That's a general category, if you will. There's a payoff there in terms of deceiving others. Your degree of self-confidence is something they pay attention to. According to Trivers, self-deception evolved mainly to hide deceptions, making it more difficult for targets of deception to spot them as deceptions. In addition, self-deception can increase self-confidence, which elevates reproductive fitness. Thus, by adapting and selecting self-deception, evolution shapes how the mind works. But the glacial pace of biological evolution is today overwhelmed by technological acceleration, especially in artificial intelligence, AI. Can AI deceive? If so, what would it imply for the nature of mind? The issue is not whether humans can use AI to deceive. Of course we can. Deep fakes are the troubling proof. No, the issue is whether AI can model the human mind well enough to deceive. I should ask the co-founder of the Future of Life Institute, author of Life 3.0, Being Human in the Age of Artificial Intelligence, physicist Max Tegmark. To be able to deceive another human being, you need to be able to have in your mind quite an accurate model of their mind. Theory of mind, you need that, yes. for sure. That's how you can trick them. So if an AI in the future manages to trick you, like happened in Ex Machina, for example, right? That might mean that it is really quite smart at this point, but it understands, it can model other human minds and is sort of approaching human level intelligence. Would that be a test of AI if it, if it is able to deceive? If it can really understand your mind well enough to predict and model it the way you can model, your wife's mind, I, I would say that's really quite a benchmark it's met, then yes. On the other hand, it's turned out that actually we humans are much easier to hack than we thought, and you don't even have to be that smart to do it. I mean, if you look at the uses that humans have made with AI to hack other humans through deceptive advertising or, or, or you name it, it's, it's strikingly easy, and you don't need anything near human-level intelligence for that. We already have uh, deep fakes, right, that can simulate your fakes saying things that you never said, which will soon wreak havoc both with the legal system and with accountability of politicians because we're going to be seeing so many fake movies of politicians saying things they never said and in compromising situations they never were in that they'll be able to deny the real videos by claiming that they're fake as well. How do you defend against that? The AI community has a lot of creative ideas 
California, even after some AI law being passed a law saying that any AI has, that impersonates a human has to identify itself as not being a human. The first thing that has to happen is we have to talk about this and just educate people who make policy so they come into this millennium and, and really take this serious. AI, of course, can be used to aid the offense and the people who want to deceive, but it's also very, very good for detecting fraud and deception. And I would like to empower ordinary people to have AI defending them against these things. We, we might end up in, quite soon in a situation where people buy their own AI personal assistant who helps protect them against all sorts of scams like this and uses AI tools to defend against attacking AI tools. This is something we almost already have and um, it's the brave new world. <laughs> Deception, from creative and cunning to blatant and barefaced, gives insight into what shapes brain and mind. Lying for normal people requires effort and specific brain activity. Lying for psychopaths requires no effort and no specific brain activity. There is dynamic equilibrium between the two brain hemispheres, between the left brain's mania and delusion and the right brain's critical thinking and sober judgment. This tension, in part, shapes how the brain works. Self-deception is a subconscious construction that harmonizes unrealistic self-image and objective reality. Self-deception stabilizes behavior. Self-deception evolved to hide deception and to increase self-confidence, both providing fitness advantages. Thus, by adapting self-deception, evolution shapes how the mind works. The looming dangers of artificial intelligence, AI, also involve deception. From deep fakes to phishing scams and a new arms race between AI attackers and defenders. Embedded in our genetic history, shaping brain and mind and programmed into our AI, deception, paradoxically, brings us closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.